1: I am Tracy Murda, and good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. Welcome to the Good Night Sleep Project podcast. I am your host, Tracy Murda, and today I have an extraordinary guest, sleep psychologist and assistant professor of clinical psychiatry, at Yale School of Medicine for Sleep Medicine, Linnell Schneeberg. Welcome, Linnell. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
1: We have a lot to talk about today in terms of just sleep in general, I think, from adults to children. I have some personal sleep monsters that I'm going to have you tackle. And in addition to that, I want to talk about the new book that you have out that is specifically geared toward these children with sleep problems and their parents who are uh slowly dying inside. So well, now, why don't you tell me a little bit about your book first and then we'll hop into you know some of the real meat of what you're doing to solve it.
2: Sure, I would be happy to. So I will first tell you that I wear two hats. One hat is as a sleep psychologist at the Yale School of Medicine where I treat adults with insomnia. And the other hat, the other half of the week, I work at Connecticut Children's Medical Center where I help families learn how to help their kids become great sleepers. So the book came about because week after week at Connecticut Children's, I was writing up these plans to help parents teach their kids to be great sleepers. And I just began to notice that, that I was using the same five steps and that the plans were really similar. And I thought to myself, there has to be a book in here. And I could definitely teach parents how to do this just by reading a book. And so that's how
1: the book came to be. So, tell me a little bit more about your background. I mean, you've you've interviewed with us before and we talked about adult sleep issues and things like that. Um, you know, yes. so tell me a little bit about kind of what brought you into focusing a little bit more on children as well. Sure.
2: Yes. So, I started out when I was getting my graduate degree in psychology realizing that I really loved the intersection of psychology and medicine and that intersection has a name. It's called behavioral medicine or psychological medicine. And it's this really great area because you're working as a psychologist with someone who is dealing with some sort of medical issue and then helping them solve that with some psychological methods. So for example, with insomnia, I talked before on the podcast of how to use cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia to help that problem improve significantly. With children, there are a couple of things that parents tend to do. I always say they're doing them with the right intentions, but they have the sort of the wrong outcome, if you're with me. And I wrote my book to help parents figure out what they might be doing wrong, what two mistakes they might be making at bedtime, and how to fix those. And when you do that, your children often become
1: much more wonderful sleepers. Interesting. So... Comparing adults to children in terms of sleep problems, are the, the problems the same? Are the, the level of issue the same? And, you know, as far as your approach to solving those things, could those also be the
2: same? Yes, that's a great question. So I always think of sleep medicine as being divided into two areas. One would be sort of more the insomnia kinds of issues which of course both adults have and children have. And then the other side of sleep medicine would be what would be called more medical issues or organic issues, some people call them. And those would be things like sleep apnea, narcolepsy, restless legs, circadian rhythm problems. And children can have all of the same sleep problems that adults have. But by far the most common problem that children have is called behavioral insomnia of childhood. And that just means that they've learned some ways to fall asleep that aren't really the most ideal ways. And you can help them learn how to fall asleep a new way. But of course, with children, I'm actually working with their parents. So I teach their parents how to make those changes, and then the children sleep better as a result. Hallelujah.
1: (laughs) What age of children do you tend to focus on or see the most of with these sleep issues?
2: Yes. So we see children from six months and up really all the way through into their early 20s. So very young babies, you know, they might have, again, trouble self-soothing or getting themselves to sleep. And then the the age that I'm focusing on in my book is preschool and elementary school children who really can't fall asleep very easily without some help from a parent. And then you would move into teenagers who often have difficulty falling asleep at the right time in order to get up for school. And then in the late 20s and early teens, you might start seeing things like narcolepsy or even some of those more adult sleep disorders that we talked about, sleep apnea and so on. Although, of course, the child can have sleep apnea at a young age as well. But those are the typical problems that would come at each age range. Oh, Oh, I
1: have so many questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) I am shocked that you said six months. That seems really young to, I mean, everyone just kind of accepts that I've got a baby. They sleep poorly. The whole sleeping like a baby thing, I think, is just complete nonsense. Um, You're right. But what about children, like, for example, I'll talk about my little first monster here. She was the (laughs) most amazing sleeper from start till about, oh, six months ago. So she's almost two now. And she slept wonderfully. And now it's like, takes too long to go to sleep. And then when she does sleep, she's waking up. She's absolutely psychotic when she wakes up. And then she can go all night without sleep. It's just like insane to me. And, yes. you know, where so do those things come from? Yeah. So
2: it started when she was 18 months-ish,
1: yep, right? Yeah, about then. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And is she still sleeping in a crib?
1: No, she actually transitioned to her bed pretty early. Yeah.
2: Maybe right around that time or not? Yeah. But, well, mark.
1: she slept uh, pretty well in her bed probably for the first three months or so.
2: Mm-hmm. And then what what happened at around 18 months? She would need you to stay with her until she fell asleep more often.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I credit my husband with that, that idea. <laughs> <laughs> of course,
2: of course it's his fault. So yes. we
1: started, you know, sleep or at least laying on her floor until she falls asleep and she would fall asleep relatively quickly. And then it just kind of got mm-hmm. longer and longer to put her to bed. And then all of a sudden this 2am like clockwork, it she wakes up and she is either you know, screaming and fighting and wanting to, you know, combat with us or she just is awake and is like, let's, let's party. Like he he doesn't want to sleep.
2: Yes. Okay. Sure. So um, I do, I will ask the medical question first. Does she have any problems with her breathing at night, snoring or gasping or anything that makes you worried about her airway, so to speak?
1: Not that I've noticed, and I'll be honest, ever since I started doing this sleep work with Richard, I have obviously become hypersensitive to those things, and I'm like, Yeah. breathing with her mouth open? Is she a mouth breather? You know, all those things, and there's nothing that I've noticed that, you know, scares people face.
2: Yeah, so unlikely that it's that. So I think what happened is uh, something that's much more typical, much more common, So um, there was some time when she was younger and she was in the bed and someone would lie on the floor. And the way that a child falls asleep at bedtime is the way that they want things to be when they wake up in the middle of the night. So if your husband were to stay with her and maybe they do some chatting or maybe he sings, maybe he, it doesn't sound like it, but maybe he might rub her back or he might tell her one more story or she might be chatting with him. So if, Your husband is present or you are present when she's falling asleep. That's sometimes people call that a sleep crutch. The Mm -hmm. formal name of it is called a sleep onset association, just like Pavlov. Remember Pavlov? Oh, sure. Yeah. So he rang the bell and fed the dog until pretty much a bell would, the dog would learn, oh, I'm going to salivate when I even hear a bell, right? Because that means dinner's coming. So for your daughter falling asleep, having a parent nearby, those are now very linked or very associated. And then, of course, your husband leaves after the job is done, right? After she's asleep. And then she wakes up in the middle of the night and says, hey, where's this guy that I'm so used to falling asleep, you know, with him nearby? Mm -hmm. And then I'm certain she protests in some manner, (laughs) um, coming to find you or calling out for someone to come. And then it usually probably takes a parent again some assistance, right? To get her back right.
1: to sleep. Yeah. If she goes back to sleep, right. If she goes back to sleep, right. So
2: if she were to be up for a while, then would she eventually fall back to sleep and sleep in for a while
1: after that? No, she's just like wired and, and awake. I mean, there's two different types that we get. It's either she wakes up and of course, I'm the panic of parent who's like, she must be having night terrors. I want, Yes, you know, right. I, I hear her it's, we probably label it more than it is, but that seems to be she's almost not quite with it in when she's fighting. Yes, us. that's common. Or she just yeah. wakes up and she wants to party. Got it. And then so tell me what time she falls asleep. She probably falls asleep night. about eight thirty eight thirty, nine o'clock. Okay. I mean and we if put everything her down works, well before that, but she <laughs> she takes that long. Takes to a long
2: time. Sure, yeah. And then when, um on a not you know, a night that's not terrible, when would she get up in the morning?
1: Uh, probably about six o'clock.
2: Okay. So she's sort of like an 8.30 to 6 o'clock sleeper on a good night.
1: On on a, a very rare good night. Yes. That's what it used yeah, to be. Yeah. Very rare good night. night. Used to be. Okay. And then would she nap as well? She does take a nap at daycare.
2: Okay. And does she nap a couple of hours
1: there? She naps about at least an hour, usually around one o'clock.
2: Sure. And then on
1: a weekend, would she try to avoid naps at your home? Um, Not really. We were pretty consistent about keeping it. You know, at least making sure she laid down. Um, and she, good. up until recently, was really good about it.
2: Great. And would anybody have to be in her room when she took a nap oh, yeah. on the weekend?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: So she definitely she definitely likes someone to be around. Um, if you were to, I'm not saying that you do this, but if you were to catch her really quick and put her in your bed in the middle of the night, would she go back to sleep and sleep pretty well?
1: I think she would want to want to play. Like, that would be her go-to.
2: Got it. She would still rather play. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then in the daytime, does she seem to have plenty of energy, or does she seem like she's oh, a little short?
1: Yeah. Nope. yeah. And <laughs> not not cranky.
2: Is she cranky or not so cranky? She's she's kind of cranky all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'll tell you what I would I would do if you would come to see me in the sleep center. Um, I would have you start to help her learn how to self soothe at bedtime. And I would have you try to help her um, set up her bedroom so that it seemed exactly the same in the middle of the night as it did when she fell asleep. So here's how I might go about that. I would want to know about your bedtime routine, sort of what you do and in what order. Would you want to talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, she eats her dinner around five thirty six and then maybe a little snack or something in between. She's usually playing with her older sister, uh, you know, right up to about bedtime. She's usually actually pretty good when we say, you know, land in bedtime, she'll grab her stuff and she heads, you know, down the hall and she'll walk herself into bed. And, Terrific. And then she'll get she'll crawl in bed. She's like pretends like she's actually gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then and what then happens that's about it. Um, and then I usually lay down on the floor. My husband will lay on the floor and, you know, we'll just lay there and he seems very calm. And then it's like, as time goes on, he's just like, she likes to mess with you. You know, she'll come and peek over the end of the bed and that's yeah. cute. And, you know, yeah. try not to with her. And, but it's just, it just takes, and there's usually a lot a long of get distance. back in bed, get back in bed.
2: Sure. That's very classic. And then would
1: she ever run out of the room and make a game out of that or
2: Would she ever go to say, oh, now I want daddy to come give me a kiss, any
1: of that sort of thing? No, she more so, she'll just try and get out of bed to get things put in her bed with her for fun, Shoot, whatever it is. Right, whatever it is, right. And then Mm it's a little bit of a
2: game of get back in bed.
1: Yeah, Yeah, got
2: it. Okay. All right. So I think what I might suggest be that I have a in my book, I have a a bedtime routine. I call it the five B's, the five B bedtime mm-hmm. routine. And I think you're doing most of it, but I'm just going to run through. So the first B yeah. in my book is mm-hmm. bedtime bite, which is that snack that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then bath or washing up. If it's not a full blown bath night, right. Every night's mm-hmm. not a bath night necessarily. And then brush tea bathroom, the final bathroom trip. And then I do love it. If parents get into the bed with the child, she sounds mm-hmm. like, does she have a twin twin size bed?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Great. So you'd have a little reading light on the side of the bed and you would leave the overhead lights on for this part and the little reading light also. And then you or your husband, whoever's the, I call it the parent on duty, um, would read. And I have people read a very specific number of books so that that's not a negotiation.
1: Uh So
2: two books, we read two books every night. Her name is Landon, right? Yeah. Yes. You say, Landon, go pick out your two books. And go pick out whoever you want to have in the bed tonight, whether it's a puppy or a giraffe or whoever it might be. And then um, the parent on duty would read the two books. And then I'm going to say something that you're going to think is a little bit counterintuitive. I would have you put a chair in the doorway, and I would have you have the back of the chair facing the room. So you would be facing okay. out into out the door, into the hallway. hallway. Yep. And then you would turn off all the lights in the room except you would leave that little reading light on okay yep and then Landon would have her stuffed animals maybe she has a picture book um, you said she gets all sorts of random things and puts them in the oh, bed yeah. yep and i would try very hard and it's going to be hard but i would try this until she's asleep i would try completely ignoring what she does
1: completely okay.
2: ignoring it because I imagine she can get up and down from the bed herself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would just say, Landon, I'm on mom time now. If it's you. And I would be sitting in the chair looking very busy, right, with your – if you could have your laptop. You could have your tablet. You could have your book. You could listen to a podcast. And you would say, Landon, what I'm going to do from now on is I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I am going to sit in the doorway here because you're used to having me nearby. But I'm on my time now, and I have some things I want to do. You can play until you're drowsy enough to fall asleep. Okay. Now, she's going to think she hit the jackpot, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> definitely going to think she hit the jackpot. But I guarantee you that the interesting part of this whole thing for her is you all reacting to what she does.
1: Oh, sure. The peeking
2: over the, uh, the end of the bed, the telling her to get back saying what are you doing up? Why do you need a diaper in your bed? Why are you getting your tennis shoes? <laughs> you know, that's interesting part. And if you're sitting in the doorway with your back to her looking very engaged in your own thing, everything she's doing to get your attention is going to become just not fun at all. Boring, right? Does that makes sense.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yep, so your job is just to sit in the doorway. You're really your only job is to make sure she doesn't leave the room. Right. And then you can say something that's, again, going to sound a little bit counterintuitive or paradoxical. You're going to say, Landon, just play until you're sleepy. And then she might say all sorts of great. (laughs) Yeah, she she might say all sorts of things, you know, uh, she might try to tell you the most interesting story or tell you something funny or ask you to come lay on the floor. She's going to have a lot to say. And your job, if you can manage it, is just to say the same thing back to her. I'm going to sit here and do my thing. You can play until you're sleepy. And I call that the broken right. record. I like it. Yeah. Like so you're it. sort of flipping, you're flipping the game on her. You're basically saying your only job is to be in your room and get in your own bed when you're drowsy. My job is to sit here and do my own thing. Cause really I'm on my time now. And then later, of course, I'm going to move you farther and farther away, but right. that's a big flip that's for her. That's start. going to be a big change. Yep. So it's a, it's a, it's a good start. And she will be awake a frighteningly long time. The first. Sure. She already is anyway. <laughs> yes, she already is anyway. So, again, she may also up the ante on you and she may cry or she may say, mm-hmm. I can't do it. Or she may say, You've got to come lay with me. Or she may say any of those things. But you could say, oh, wow, you're such a big girl. You can put yourself to sleep now, but I'm going to be sitting right here. But again, try not to answer every single question. Try not to change what you say. You can explain all this in the daytime. Once you're sitting in the chair, try to imagine that you want the same sentence to come out over and over again. That's okay. Whatever she gives you, right? whatever sentence she says to you, you can always say, oh, that's okay. Play till you're sleepy. I like it the old way mommy. Oh, that's okay. Play till you're sleepy. My feet feel weird. That's okay. Play till you're sleepy. My tennis shoe is in the basement. I don't know what she'll say. You know, my giraffe is in the right. basement. And then you, you can say, that's okay. You have puppy. Play till you're sleepy. Okay. And what is your will creative. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, go I've ahead. heard, you know, conflicting things there as far as sleep professionals go in terms of recommending. Um, I know a lot of parents do the If they come out crying or if they come, you know, they won't put in physically putting them back in the bed over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over again. Is that similar? Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, should be avoided? What is your take on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So my take on it, this is a perfect segue into the other piece, which is called a bedtime ticket. Have you heard that term before? No, I haven't. Yeah. So a bedtime ticket is a little ticket that you would give Landon. You'd give her two of them and you can decorate them and make them in the daytime. You can make them out of index cards, uh, glitter, you, you name it. And then when you're all finished with the two books, you would give her the two tickets. And she's two. I guarantee you, if she knows how to trade you for something, she knows how to use a ticket.
1: Sure. (laughs) So it's,
2: yeah, right. So she can follow a command. She knows how to use a ticket. So you would give her the two tickets and you'd say, good night, darling. I'm going to go sit in the chair now, like we talked about. If you need anything else, you need to bring me a ticket for it. And then you would sit in the chair and do your thing. And she would say whatever she might say. What are some common things she might say?
1: Um, I and mean, she's not talking in full sentences yet, but it's, it's, it's either, uh, you know, I want something to eat or something to drink yeah. or just, you know, attention. It's just, she just wants the attention. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. So let's say
2: she wanted something to eat. I wouldn't do that. I would say we already had our snack, right? Because that's the very first mm-hmm. B in my plan for a reason, right? Because kids right. love to tell you an hour later that they're hungry, an hour oh, into the sure. right? That they're hungry. So. You can always say, oh, we already had our snack, remember? And then if she said, oh, I need more water in my cup, you could say, oh, sure, I need a ticket for that in. And then she would, you would go get, get the ticket. You would take the water cup, fill it up, happy as you please, bring it back, and sit right back down in the chair. And then if she said, oh, I have something so funny to tell you. I know she's speaking in sentences, but um, let's say she said, fix my covers. Mm-hmm. You would say, sure, I need a ticket for that Landon. And you would take the ticket and fix her covers beautifully. And then you would say, remember, Landon, your tickets are gone. Now, play till you're sleepy. And then you would go right back to the chair. Back to the bed. And track. then, yep. Anything after that, you would just say, your tickets are gone. Play till you're sleepy. Now, to swing back to should you put them back to bed. If she com- comes out of her bed and says, mommy, tuck me in again, and she still has a ticket left, great. Do it. Take the ticket, give her the best tuck ever, and go right back to your chair. hmm Otherwise, the getting out of bed, being put back, getting out of bed, being put back, that becomes a game. Also, aha, uh-huh. right? Engages you, gets your attention on her attention. again. So mm-hmm. I really wouldn't do it unless she has a ticket to spare. Sure.
1: Okay. That makes perfect sense. That's exactly what she yeah. wants. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Tell me about your experience. And, and I'm curious about this. I've done some research on my own uh, with, as I mentioned, the. The night terrors are waking up really aggressive. Yeah. Is that common in kids? Is it
2: is it we really
1: always a night terror? I mean, you know, I think we all like to jump yeah. to the worst conclusion. Yes, you're so right.
2: So night terrors are absolutely develop, developmentally uh, appropriate. Every, all children have them. They peak at age three and a half. Children will not remember them in the morning. They are not really awake. And your only job as a parent is to try not to freak out. Because they look so sad and so scary, and to keep them safe, that's it. Okay, they're just like a little lightning storm in the brain, is how you could think of them. They're again completely normal, and you really shouldn't wake a child who's having one. Um, I know sometimes Landon is like stuck, but be- sort of stuck between wake and sleep. You know, that's actually called a confusional arousal. That means that she's mm-hmm. a little confused. She's she's an arousal, sort of like an awakening, right? So she's sort of awake, sort of asleep, not very happy. It's hard to get her what she wants. It's hard for her to say what she wants. Right. You know, you sort of have to push your way through that one too. Now, having said that, she'll have fewer of them when she can put herself to sleep completely. Because if you woke up and your pillow Uh and your blankets were gone, which is what it feels like to her when her parent is gone. Yeah. You would think, What the heck? What the heck happened to my pillow? And you would have a little bit of a hard time finding it or figuring out why it was gone. That's a that's sort of a way to explain what she's experiencing. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Doesn't it?
1: Yes. Oh Doesn't my gosh. It? That's like a light bulb just went off of like it, it yeah, yeah, it does. Oh my gosh. That's it. Wow. That's
2: exactly right. Yeah. So and kids, I mean, not just
1: mine, but what's the difference between then a nightmare and uh, a night terror and the confusional yeah. sleep? Because It seems like different children have kind of a different brain. Yeah,
2: you're so right. And that that's another great question. So a nightmare and a night terror, they're easier to distinguish like this. A night terror would usually happen in the first part of the night because they're not actually arising out of dream sleep, which is called REM sleep, R-E-M sleep. They're arising out of what's called non-REM sleep or deeper sleep. And the differences would be that the child doesn't really seem uh, with it. The child won't remember it in the morning. It looks really scary to the parent like that. A nightmare would normally happen in the second half of the night when we have most of our dream sleep. They would wake up fully after it. They would remember it. They would be able to report all sorts of details about it
1: and so on. Okay. That is, yes, I think it sounds like So many people kind of overgeneralize everything and just throw it into the night terror. (laughs) They
2: do. And I last thing I want to say about night terrors or nightmares is they are not a sign that your child has some disturbance or psychological problem. These are all really, really normal, really, really normal. If you think about it, I'm sure that you had nightmares when you were a little child.
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah,
2: everyone has them. We still do, you know. Still, people still do have it. might watch a scary movie or have a scare with, you know, a near miss in your car or something like that. And then you might have a nightmare that night. There's one other trick that I want to tell you about for night terrors. If it's true for your child that your child has this event, let's call it at about uh-huh. the same time every night, 11 o'clock, let's say 11 p.m. There's a trick called scheduled awakenings. And that means that you could go in 15 minutes before 11. And very, very quietly call Landon's name until she just barely responded, you know, fluttered her eyelids or turned Uh over and then say, oh, that's okay, sweetie, go back to sleep. And that's called a scheduled awakening. And sometimes that'll do a little reset. Nobody's even sure why. It'll do a little reset. And then
1: Landon will not have one that night. That was exactly what I was just going to ask you about. Yes. I just saw something on it yesterday. I'd never heard of it. And I thought, that sounds pretty dicey to wake a sleeping <laughs> uh-huh.
2: You barely, barely, barely. It would be almost if you ask your husband to turn over when he's snoring. You know, sure. barely, barely wake up. Like, them. A, oh,
1: okay, I'm back to
2: sleep. Yes. But I wouldn't um, choose that option until I had worked really hard on teaching the child to fall asleep right. independently at bedtime. Wow oh my gosh, because this is, I'm that so could take care her of it. Private. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could take care of it on its own. You know,
1: I, I had a feeling that all of this was somehow related to her, you know, being pretty dependent on us. And something, I just had a feeling that it was something, you know. Yes, she had consistency, but it was the wrong kind of consistency, you know. It it's was just off. a little
2: too much help. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: just a little too much
2: help. And you're in very good company, may I say? And that's the reason that I wrote my book because everywhere I go in my life, people will say, "Oh my gosh, I think I'm doing everything right, but my child wakes up all the time. How does she, she falls asleep pretty well, but she wakes up a lot and she seems upset when she wakes up." You know, that's why I wrote my book, because these problems are so very common, and people just don't quite know how to fix them.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit more about how your actual ages in the book that you're addressing here. But before I do, I'm just curious, because I, I'm i kind of past the stage, hopefully. Uh, but for mm-hmm. anyone else, what is your take on the, the cry it out method? You know, with yeah. your child, baby, whatever it is, is just cannot get to sleep, and they are just, you know, adamant, just they're crying, crying, crying. Do you let them self-soothe to go in and, you know, go in shorter periods of time each night, change it up? I've, I've heard so many things that everyone seems to have a different take on it.
2: Yeah, they do. You're right. If you scour the dark corners of the Internet, you will find lots of conflicting advice. That is for sure. So here's my take. If if I had a magic wand, I would try to teach parents from a very early age to do a little pattern with babies that a lot of people refer to as eat, play, sleep. And what that means is every time a baby woke up, you would feed them immediately after waking. And then you would play with them or let them have wake time or tummy time or whatever you want to call that, depending on their age. And then when they got sussy or tired or showed those little signs that kids show, babies show when they're sleepy, you would put them back to sleep without feeding them again actually. And then you would do that again when they woke up from that nap or sleep period. You would feed them, let them play some more and put them back to sleep. If you do that pattern, your baby will never develop what's called a feeding to sleep association. Meaning that they only learn how to fall asleep with a bottle or a breast. And okay. that's what leads right that's what leads to the issue of a child not being able to self soothe. They've always been soothed to sleep with food. Mm-hmm. So if you, from an early age, tried to have that be the cycle, eat, play, sleep, eat, play, sleep, you would have a baby who very naturally learns to self-soothe. Now that, that doesn't happen all the time. So if it doesn't happen, what I talk to parents about is just begin to make sure that you feed your baby. If they get drowsy, all babies get drowsy, right? When they're being nursed or bottle fed, you would wake them up in some fashion change their diaper, um, take them away from the breast or bottle, walk around the room and say goodnight to things in the room or you know happy nap time to things in the mm-hmm. room, put them in the, put them in the crib and let them, again, self-soothe or self-settle. And there's a temperament issue here. Some children do really well with what they call check and console. So it isn't full cry it out. You, you stay nearby. You try not to take them out. You try not to rock them or give them more parental assistance, if you will. But you stay nearby and you maybe you rub their back. Maybe you talk to them softly and you say, I'm here. You can do it. You can fall asleep, you know, that sort of thing. Some children, though, do worse with that. They get more upset if you're there and not picking them up. And those kids do better if you put them fed and dry, you know, well-loved into the crib. And then mm-hmm. you leave them to learn how to do it themselves without you nearby. So it's really a temperament thing. Some children do beautifully with the check and console, and some children really need that, really that step where the parent leaves completely. And of course, you're never going to shut the door and never come back. You know, you're usually observing and listening and that sort of thing. So there is a temperament to it. And there is also an age issue, right? You wouldn't want to sleep train any baby really before four to six months. Sleep cycles haven't really organized themselves. Um, My own preference is fully six months old. A child who's developing normally by six months old doesn't have a physiological need to eat during the night, but they may have a learned need to eat during the night. So I would recommend sleep training from about the six month mark on. And usually you'll get a couple of years out of that the way you did, right? And then at about 18 months to two years, there's usually an issue where they've made a transition out of the crib or they've made a little developmental leap and they figure out, wow, I figured out a way to have my mom or dad stick around. I really like this. Mm-hmm. And then and then you might have to, quote, sleep train again. So that's why I wrote my book. My book is aimed at kids three to 10 because that's a trickier proposition when they can talk and walk and escape the room. Um, that's a little trickier to do than sleep training, let's say a six month old.
1: I love you already to escape the room. That is so true. <laughs> <It's> so <spot-on laughs> little little criminal right. we
2: have. <laughs> oh, oh, I call them ninjas too because they'll show up they in your are. bed
1: in the middle of the night. You don't even know. You don't even know they're in there. They're ninjas. Nope. They're just like up here. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't want to run out of time before we talk about this, because I think it's such a critical age that your book focuses on that three to 10. I have a five-year-old myself who's never been a great sleeper um, either, but different reasons. Talk to me about all that's going on for kids kind of in that age range. And, you know, what are some of the typical sleep problems that you're seeing there and what to do about?
2: Sure. So let's move to your five-year-old for a moment. You could use a really similar bedtime routine that you use for Landon, where you sit with your five-year-old and a, uh, what's your five-year-old daughter's, is it a daughter? Parker.
1: Mm-hmm. Parker. Parker.
2: Girl. Got it. Parker. So for your five-year-old Parker, what you could do, for example, is you could have a lovely bedtime routine with Parker and you could read two books with her. And then you could say, now, Parker, you've got your reading light and your stack of books or your drawing pad or your puzzle books, or whatever she might like, and you can say, I'm going to go do my work, and you can read or draw until you're sleepy, and I can't wait to see you in the morning, and I love you, and good night, and then you could let Parker self-soothe with a book or a drawing pad or anything else, and then she can gauge, when am I drowsy enough to fall asleep, just the way we do, right? We often get in bed with a sure, book. That Some nights we small. read one page, mm-hmm. right? Some nights we read three chapters, So, you can teach her from an early age to do that, which leads me into uh, a little more in-depth in the question you just asked. What happens in the age range that I'm addressing in my book is they begin to have to sleep elsewhere. They begin to have to have the opportunities to sleep Mm, at a sleepover, mm -hmm. birthday party, or summer camp, or grandma's house when mom and dad have a little getaway, and if they only can fall asleep with a parent nearby or helping then that becomes problematic and they can't necessarily do the age appropriate things that their friends are doing. And in psychology, we call that a social cost, right? So they're the ones Ah. who have to sit that out, which is a shame. So again, that's why I always end my bedtime routine with the child in bed with something to do, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. For a two year old, that's different than Parker, a five year old. And they have something to do. And the reason I, rely so heavily on a book and a book light is those are portable. Those can go to Parker's friend's house for a sleepover or grandma's house or Ah. summer camp. Right? And she can have this cool little light. Sometimes I'll have parents purchase those little headlamp reading lights. Right. And wherever Parker goes, she can take her fun little headlamp and her book. And who cares if she's the last one awake at a sleepover, which is what they are afraid of, right? Right. Summer camp with weird sounds outside the cabin window. She can just read. She can read herself to sleep. And that's such a life skill. And no matter where she goes, she can take that with her.
1: I love that. I yeah. absolutely love that. <laughs> they, this is such a critical age for them in terms of having to be awake and alert during the day and having healthy sleep and things like that. I just, you know, it, let me ask you about this, because this is something I know Richard has talked a lot about. Um, as far as chronotypes, I've always just considered her mm-hmm. a night owl just like my Mm -hmm. husband. I'm a morning person. I could fall asleep by eight if I wanted to. Does that play into how kids in that age range, you know, or when, let me rephrase that, when does that start to come in, if at all, how people, children sleep?
2: So you're absolutely right. People have preferences. We call them owls or larks, just what it sounds like. People who like to be up at night, people who like to to be up early in the morning. Kids do have that. I would say younger children, for the most part are pretty good sleepers they can usually fall asleep you know 7 30 8 30 and they typically wake up around you know 6 7 in the morning until puberty hits and then melatonin that your body makes not the kind that you could take but the kind that your body makes is released later at night and so teenagers really do have a hard time biologically falling asleep at an early enough time to get enough sleep for a school day They really might not have the sense of drowsiness until much later, you know, 10, 11, 12, 1, and then they have a hard time falling asleep and therefore a hard time getting up.
1: What do you recommend, you know, without giving it all away, um, (laughs) what do you recommend for parents and for for children, especially the the older ones kind of in that puberty range? You know, are there things, I mean, I, I can't imagine my nieces or nephews at, you know, 13 or 11, whatever, Saying okay, here's some books and some you know paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Write yourself to sleep. Um, yeah. For one, because they're a little more defiant, and two, totally. you know that might not be as engaging.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So for teenagers, what I try to do is teenagers are very savvy about their their devices. So first of all, they do need to turn the blue light off, which is the the end of the spectrum of light that is more wakeful. You know, it promotes promotes wakefulness, makes your brain think that. It's daytime, so all the teenagers that I work with in the sleep center—they already know to use the night shift setting on their phones. They usually ah. already have that. Yeah, they usually already have that set. Their parent won't know what I'm talking about, but the child will absolutely already know and will <laughs> already have it. <laughs> we we'll already have it turned on. So, number one, they should be having the blue light part of the spectrum pulled out of their devices. Really, from dinner time on, even if they're doing homework, they could have the blue light turned okay. off. Okay. Yep. And then what I do with teenagers when I ask them to try to fall asleep a little bit earlier, so I I will have them go to bed at the appropriate time, knowing that they might take a little time to fall asleep, and I will see if they're willing to read a book, but you're correct that very few now are readers, so sad. So then what I'll do, because I don't really want them to have their phones, if you think about it, the phone is like having the world in your hand.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Every movie ever made, every kind of game, every friend you've ever known, you know, you could interact or use or play um with on your phone. So I will say to them, if they really, really don't like to read, there is something that we all have tucked away on a closet somewhere gathering dust, and it's a DVD player. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Yes. All they do is play a movie. They don't need Wi Fi. They don't have messaging or notifications. You just put a little movie in, a little DVD, and it has a little screen that's, let's face it, not very great quality, probably. But um, they could watch a movie. A teenager could watch a movie on this device until they're drowsy if they really, really don't like to read. That's what I usually offer because I would like to get their laptop and their tablet and their phone out of the room, set them up with a regular old alarm clock maybe a movie player or a book some people some kids like to draw some teenagers like to draw that they do really love to draw they could do sure. that yep and then the last trick is on the weekends i try to have their parents help them get up no later than 2 hours past school day rise time we call it school plus 2 so let's say they had to get up at 6:45 on the school day they might try to get up by 8:45 or 9 on the weekends that's hard very hard Most teenagers don't want to do that, so then I encourage the parents to try to make sure something kind of fun maybe happens around 9 o'clock in the morning. Maybe they all got to breakfast. Um, Maybe they have a friend who, you know, is a bit of an early bird who comes over to hang out with them. Um, But you're just trying not to have them get up at 6 a.m. and then get up at noon. You know, 6 a.m. and noon is a long way apart, six hours, and that's hard on your, your circadian rhythm. It's hard on your brain clock, so
1: to speak. Sure, especially when you only have two days of it, and then it's back to the grind.
2: Yes, your brain can't figure out what you want, right? It's almost like you went to Hawaii for the weekend, every weekend, um, so to speak. So it's hard. It's harder. And then, of course, no long napping after school, ideally. Just those sorts of things. Small changes can make a difference.
1: Well. Wow. I would love to in my pocket forever. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Uh, but I won't Thank keep you. you. I know you have you have real patience to get to. Uh, but one thing <laughs> I would love to ask for, and I guarantee you, there's probably every listener out there has thought it, wondered it, looked it up. And there's again, the research is all across the board. How much yes. sleep should a toddler be looking to get? Uh, school age, young, you know, five and up. And then the teenagers, ideally, if in a perfect world, how much sleep do we need? Yes.
2: So I'm going to point you to, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm also going to point you to a fantastic resource, which is called the National Sleep Foundation. And they have a fantastic website with this really great chart. And the reason I love the chart is that it shows the ranges because there are ranges as there are for for adults, right? Right. Some adults can get by on as little as five hours of sleep. Some adults need nine hours of sleep. Most of us need seven or eight hours, right? Um, right. So now I'm going to work uh, work my way down. Teenagers actually need about nine hours. Almost none of them are getting wow. it. Um, but that's what they need, says the research. And then, uh, let's see, middle school and elementary kids, you know, you're wanting to get into that, you know, nine to 10 hour range for them. And then really young ones. It really ranges. It can range from 12 to 14 hours. You know, I'm sure you have wow. friends whose kids sleep, tw- you know, seven to seven, and then they take a nap, too. But the reason I love the chart on the National Sleep Foundation website is that it shows the maximum sleep that child might get, the minimum sleep that they could do quite well on, and then the average. Okay.
1: It makes you and not it feel does quite it for everyone. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes, and it shows it for every age range, babies all the way up to adults.
1: Love that okay, that's very very helpful because, like I said, I think a lot of us feel like we're out there on no man's island at two in the morning on their kid's floor, when in reality yeah. that might not be. We may not be alone. <laughs> no, you are certainly not alone.
2: You're certainly not alone. And your daughter, if she, you know, if she turns out to be something called a short sleeper, that means someone who just needs a little bit less sleep than the average bear. There are kids who are like that, but you're not really going to know that until she holds the reins herself, right? Right. Until she can put herself completely to sleep and put herself completely back to sleep. And then you're going to know, wow, this is how much sleep she's capable of achieving because she has complete control of it herself
1: real quick in have just as soon as you said that I'm thinking that's kind of me. I've always been that way. I just operate very well on very little sleep, um, but I try and mm-hmm. you know make sure it's quality sleep. How much yeah. does genetics play into how our kids are sleep if at all?
2: Yeah, quite a lot. Quite a lot. You know, many many sleep disorders, I'll use that word, disorders and, or mm-hmm. preferences, that's another word, run in families. So if someone is someone's father and grandfather had sleep apnea, They really might have the anatomy that leads them to have sleep apnea. And Mm. many people will say to me, oh, my mom had insomnia and her mom had insomnia and I have insomnia. Now, in terms of sleep, almost all sleep problems can be improved. Almost every single one. Sleep apnea certainly can be. Insomnia certainly can be. So you can learn how
1: to be a great sleeper. It's
2: a skill. You can learn it and get better at it and perfect
1: it. Well, that gives a lot of people hope. I really think so, Linnell. I mean, sleep is its such, it seems like such a simple thing, but it's just so important. The more you know about it, the more it's like there's so many components that go into it. And I am just over the moon and excited to read your book, Become Your Child Sleep Coach, The Bedtime Doctor's Five-Step Guide, 3 to 10. Uh, Linnell, where is the book available?
2: Yeah, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold, it's available.
1: I know I am ordering my copy now, and in addition (laughs) to that, I would love to have you come back and talk a little bit more to us. I mean, like I said, I could keep you here for hours, Uh, but I'd I'd love love to. to talk more about some more sleep problems that affect both children as well as adults um, and kind of go back to maybe one, some of the things that you talked to us about first in the, the cognitive behavioral therapy models and things like that. Um, there's just Absolutely. an unending, an unending, you know, let me ask you this last question because you are a sleep expert. I'm going to call you. Mm-hmm. How do you <laughs> I
2: I always hate to say this, but I'm a fabulous sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> You should be proud. I feel slightly (laughs) guilty, slightly guilty. I'm a really good sleeper and I value my sleep. I treasure it. You know, I treasure it. And a lot of people think it's a mark of of honor to be able to hardly sleep or get by a little bit of sleep. That's not how I look at it. You know, I look at it as a really important foundation to health. So I really value it and protect it.
1: It sure is. Linnell, thank you so much. I'm so excited to try these techniques out tonight. I will know how they go. And thank I you, really, please. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't tell you how grateful I am for this conversation today. It was really uh-huh. helpful, and I'm sure our listeners will definitely be getting some things out of it, too. So, Thank, thank you. It was again. a pleasure. For our listeners, again, this was an awesome talk with Dr. Linnell Schneeberg. Uh, thank you. Please come again, and we will chat soon.
2: Great. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age of 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, Thank you.